Hi, everyone. Welcome to Me, You, and Who. On today's episode, we are talking with Michaela and Denise. They are part of our egg donor program, and they are some of the ladies that you see whenever you're first applying with us as an egg donor. Um, we get to hear from them just about the process, tips and tricks on application, and then we also get to hear um, Michaela's amazing story um, as an egg donor herself. So please enjoy Michaela and Denise. Me, you, and who? Who knew it would take more than two people to have a baby? In a world where infertility is no longer a taboo topic, this podcast will take you through all the different aspects of surrogacy and egg donation through the lens of many who walk this journey in different ways. My name is Whitney Hall, and I am a two-time surrogate, now turned surrogacy coordinator for Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions, the very agency I used when I chose to carry for two amazing families. With this podcast, it is our goal to help guide and support you as you learn about what it takes to grow a family in an alternative way, as well as hear inspiring and beautiful stories of how this path has changed lives forever. We can't wait for you to hear about just one more way happy families are created every day. (laughs) Well, okay. I know you guys are crazy, nuts, busy, like... You know, like we all are throughout our day. So I really appreciate you guys like taking the time to talk about what it is that you do. It's our pleasure. Love this for you. Oh, thank you. Love you. (laughs) Um, Okay. So you both are on the matching and just egg donor education team. So what is like, what's a day? What does the day look like? And jump in. I know days are crazy, but give me the the go around. I'm an egg donor and I have just applied. Who do I hear from first? That would be me. <gasps> Yay! That would be me. Yes. The first thing typically what happens when someone applies is they get they've done a pre-screen. So the pre-screen basically is just a couple of questions they answer, maybe takes them tops 15, 20 minutes. Basic yeah. questions, and they're either going to get approved or denied based off of those questions, hopefully approved. And then once they're approved, they get a little message from myself or Michaela, if she's coming for me. Um, and that message is typically a video. I like to send a personal video most times, unless it's a weekend, but uh, typically during the week, it's a personal video. And it just says, you know, you've been approved. Congratulations. And here's the next steps, which is our full application. And then that full application obviously is much longer, more in depth, more personal, sure. you know, some more family health history, um, more physical characteristics about their family, education background, you know, much more detailed. It definitely takes longer, I'd say at least an hour and a half um, for them to do. But the good thing is they can stop, um, save it, go back to it if they choose to. Sure. Although I do encourage them constantly to keep going finish get it done get it done (laughs) get it out of the way um the biggest time you know is the family health history that's what takes the longest for everyone it's just collecting that history about your parents grandparents aunts uncles if you can that's the thing that takes up the most time and then of course photos Photos, photos, photos. We ask for some great pictures of them. And sometimes that's hard. Nowadays, people take a lot of pictures of themselves with their, you know, phone. And it's a lot of selfies. And 
we ask for some nice photos of people. And sure. so getting those pictures sometimes are hard. But it's after they no filters, no filters, no little yeah. hearts all over you. Absolutely no filters. <laughs> we try to tell them, you know, give us a picture smiling, showing your teeth. And, you know, sometimes that takes a lot of back and forth getting those pictures. Mm -hmm. But once that application's finished, then I go through that very detailed. Sure. And checking that family health history is the biggest thing. Because obviously you want someone who has great genes. Um you know, doesn't have a huge history of anything major in their family, mm -hmm. nothing genetic um, that they possibly could pass on. And once that is complete and if they are approved, they then get another message from me in between many other messages they have already received from me. They, sure. they get a phone <laughs> call after they've screen is done and they've gotten a video and you know reminders to complete their app and so forth but if their application full application is done then they receive another message for me congratulating them and hopefully they've already scheduled watched a video and scheduled an interview otherwise i remind them to do that and then i introduce them to michaela and then michaela takes it from there <laughs> How did how did you guys even like get into the world of egg donation? How did this even like arrive at your doorstep? So one of my girlfriends, um, who's a long distance friend, she lives in Idaho. She did local cycles there for an egg bank, but it was kind of not your typical egg bank experience where you do a donation, then you're not really sure where your eggs are going or who's going uh -huh. to be the recipient. Um, she got to meet the families who she was doing her egg donations for. She also got to meet some of the donor-conceived children. And she shared with me how rewarding it was for herself and how she was able to help multiple couples. It was also super financially beneficial for her to be able to pay off student debt. And at that time, I was a single mom, so it also helped me in that way as well. So that's when I started doing my research. That's awesome. What kind of research did you do? Because I generally have people like I, I always tell people I'm like, stay away from Dr. Google and like all of the things. But, you know, at some point you have to go. Oh, to I went to Google <laughs> and then I started seeing egg, don egg donor solutions pop up on Instagram. And then I started like consistently going back and then I was like, well, I could just apply. Like, what's it going to hurt? I yeah. didn't do a ton of research after that. I just applied and then I stayed on our website and kept looking through testimonials. What made you decide to do a agency versus an egg bank like your girlfriend? I didn't like the feeling of around here and I live in upstate New York. So an egg bank for me would mean more of a less um, emotionally committed cycle. I wouldn't necessarily know who my ex were going to. Mm. I would lose a lot of that anonymity um, and decision and choices in the process. I feel like egg donor solutions really emphasized on advocating for the donor as much as they advocate for the donor conceived children and the intended parents, which was huge. It wasn't just in it for the money or you weren't looked at as a number to get to the end goal. Yeah, you were as much of a part of the process as the IPs. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I have like a question there, and I'm yeah. going to save that one for later. But tell me about your cycle, and then tell me about how you feel like 
the agency has been beneficial for donors to conceive children or vice versa, whichever makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. So my cycle went amazing. Um, I got a phone call from our matching coordinator and she walked me through each step until I was handed off to Callie, which was a dream of a coordinator. I, <laughs> I swear I was like the nightmare version of a donor for travel. <laughs> My monitoring was amazing. I would go to the appointments, they'd get me in super fast. And then it was time for my retrieval and it was a blizzard that day and my flight was restricted. No. So I have all these meds in my carry-on on ice and I had an appointment at 2 p.m. in Texas and here I am stuck in upstate New York in a blizzard. And they were trying to not fly me out until the next day or two days later. So I called Callie at 2 a.m. her time and I was like, I'm not sure what to do. I am at the airport and they're not letting me on the flight. So we had to rearrange travel and what was supposed to be a six hour travel day for me turned into 21 hours. I had to leave the airport. I had to check my bag, leave the airport with my meds, go to the local monitoring clinic. Luckily, they fit me in go get my ultrasound and my blood work done, then go back to the airport, wait eight hours, then fly to Charlotte, and then wait another like six plus. And then we didn't get to Texas until 2 a.m. the next day. Oh my word. But Callie kept like checking in like, hey, it's all well. Like, just want to make sure you're going to get there. I texted her once I got there, of course, super late at night. And it was a hot mess, but she helped me navigate probably the worst day of travel I've ever experienced. Oh my gosh, what a mess. Yeah, it was just not, it wasn't fun. I was like, I was so exhausted and being on the hormones already, like you're kind of all over the place feelings wise. So I was already tired. I was angry. (laughs) And she's like, (laughs) she's like, we're going to figure this out. You need to go up and advocate for yourself and tell them you need to get there. And it's not an option to take another flight. And once I was more assertive, they got me to my end goal, but I needed mama Callie to step in and tell me what to do. And she did. Well, right. And that's like one of the great advantages of having a coordinator. Yeah. Because then you're not like alone trying to figure all of that out. Oh yeah. Cause I'm a people pleaser. I was like, well, what would happen if I didn't leave today? And then I was like, oh, I've got so many appointments I have to go to. It's oh my yeah. gosh. It's done. Oh, I would have lost my ever loving mind. I and I, yeah, especially with the hormones. Like I would have I would have lost it. Oh, I did. I, <laughs> I lost it candidly. And then I called Callie. I was like, not sure what to do. And she oh. figured it out. Oh wow. That's yeah, insane. Yeah. And then yeah, the meds on ice and oh my gosh. So, oh. so much. <laughs> So once we got to Charlotte, I was scared because I had ice packs in my suitcase for the meds. And my partner that I went with, he went, he got to get a margarita at the airport. I'm just sitting there drinking water. And of course, we were at like this nice burger place in Charlotte Airport. And I asked the waitress, I was like, can I have a bag of ice? And she's just looking at me like I'm crazy. I was like, I have a lot of IVF meds in my bag that I need to keep cool for the next nine hours. And she's like, your IBS meds? I was like, no, ma'am. No. <laughs> no, these are for I. And she says this so loud because this place is just crazy at the airport. It's happy hour. Sure. And I was like, no, 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 IVF. And he's like, yeah, no, she meant the IBS. And I was like, guys, 
Oh I then God. had to bring my suitcase into the bathroom, do my nighttime injections, repack my ice, and go back in and, while everyone's just staring at me like, what is wrong with this girl? <laughs> <laughs> so at that, that point, were you like, here, let me just get on my platform. I'm just going to tell you all, all of the things. <laughs> I wanted to because I was just the laughing stock. And at that point, I was so tired and done. Yeah, yeah I'm sure a margarita sounded really good at the time. <laughs> oh, it did. I was so envious. I was like, this water is great. Mmm, <laughs> delicious. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. Well, and again, thank God you had, like, your coordinator and you could just, yeah, I'm sure. Oh, my gosh. So you finally get there at mm -hmm. an obscene hour. So, yeah. and then what, how was retrieval day was it okay <laughs> it was okay so this is where it gets crazier of course like texas is so warm and i chose when it shoes the week of my retrieval you guys were having a freezing rainstorm and everything oh you came during the freeze yes and everything closed and of course me being from new england i'm like nothing is happening out here why is nothing <laughs> open like there's no rain, there's no snow, there was no ice. One day there was ice, but everything was essentially closed the majority of the time that I was there. <laughs> so then we were nervous. I soaked the clinic the day before my retrieval and they were like, so you might need to come in a little bit earlier, a little bit later, depends on the road conditions. I was like, what road conditions? <laughs> like you guys are losing your minds and everything's closing over what? Yeah, it was now, to be fair, we don't have all of the things that you have in New England. So it is a little dangerous since nobody knows it how is. to drive in anything. <laughs> yeah. So it it went fine the morning of I got there and I met with the nurses and the anesthesiologist and the doctor. And they were incredible. Like mm -hmm. I am saying it felt like you had like sisters or your friends by your side. They were just joking and made me feel much more comfortable because it's not that it's nerve wracking, but it's something new that you've never done. You're going on a, under anesthesia yeah. and they just made it an uplifting experience and like talked about the end goal the whole time. Yeah. But it was so fast. I think what took the longest was my partner that I brought. I They came in, the nurse came in to put my IV in and I'm like in a gown and sitting on the bed and he's across like from me in a chair. And she just looks over and he's white, like pure white. Oh, she's no. like, she's like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm great. Why? She's like, no, him. And oh, no. he's like, he's like, I don't do needles. I don't do any of this. And she's like, well, where have you been the last two weeks while she's doing all of her injections? He's like, I don't watch. <laughs> so they're more concerned about him in the moment that he's going to pass out. And I'm just sitting there like, yeah, I'm excited. I'm great. Let's go. I come, I come back in 15 minutes later, of course, so happy. The anesthesia was great. And love it. Exhausted. He's still just white as a ghost. I was like, I'm the patient. Well, so then we, it didn't take long. I think I was only in recovery for like 20 to 30 minutes and I felt fine. Awesome. Like, I was crampy. I was a little bloated, but it's nothing more than like a normal menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And we got some Chick-fil-A and I went back to the hotel, ate some food and took a, the best nap I've ever had. 
That's fantastic. How many did they say how many eggs they got? That cycle, I think I retrieved 12 and there was, I think, eight mature. <gasps> That's awesome. It wasn't as good as my second cycle. My second cycle was much more successful, but I was on a completely different Marvel. medication regimen. Like, yeah. Polar opposite of what we did um, the first time. Yeah. So my first cycle was 11 and then 10 mature and eight were fertilized. They got seven embryos out of it. But my second cycle, we had 28 retrieved and 18 were mature. Oh my goodness. So recovery the second time was a little bit more rough. More intense. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Did you have any worries or like you didn't ever hyper stem or like how was your recovery it was like easy breezy you were done the first time was great it was a breeze I mean I flew out the next day back to New York and felt completely fine um my second recovery was a little bit more of a beast but I didn't follow of course like the advice of all of our medical professionals and I did not stay as hydrated as I should have so I had some stomach issues, which made recovery much more painful. Difficult. Mm. Yeah. Which some of those stomach issues can feel like OHSS, but it was not. I was just needing to stay hydrated. What is OHSS for those who don't know? Ovarian hyperstimulation. Ah, very good. Very good. Okay. So recovery for was fine for this cycle. Mm. Your intended parent got all of the embryos. Have you heard of successful successful pregnancies post? I have. So my IP um, actually now lives in the same town as me. We did not know that when we got matched. I actually didn't live in this town when we got matched. I lived in Vermont half the time, and then I moved to New York um, right after contracts. So we found out after legal. Um, my coordinator reached out to me. She's like, hey, this is like a little bit different of circumstances, but you actually now live in the same metropolis area as your IP. And I was like, oh, that's fine. Like, it's a big enough area. Of course, I'm yeah. never going to run into them, know who they are. That's totally fine. And I wouldn't mind anyways. So we kept going with the cycle. Um, And then after the baby was born this past April, he reached out to me on the donor sibling registry and we were able to exchange information, get to know each other a little bit better. And then we found out we actually lived 10 minutes away from each other. Oh my gosh. Which what I was, it's just mind boggling because out of all places that I could have moved or that he could have lived in the United States, what are the odds that we live in this tiny area in upstate New York together? Sure. So I got to meet him and um, the baby, the donor conceived child who was born for my donation. And she is a love. He Aww. had a very um, hard time becoming a dad. So as soon as mm -hmm. I was able to see like, this is what I was able to give to somebody, it was the most humbling experience. And now oh, we're I believe it. Oh my yeah. gosh. That's amazing. Well, and what, I mean, I know the odds are so slim, but I mean, what an amazing reason to be involved with donor oh, sibling yeah. registry and all of that. Did you ever, like, we kind of say anonymity really isn't a thing anymore based yeah. off of social media and all of that. So, yeah, what was that like as you were thinking about, really, this isn't anonymous anymore? I was happy. I think um, I'm a huge supporter of I think children should know their background and where they come from. And I mm -hmm. think they should have access to that. 
So knowing that he felt comfortable as well to reach out to me afterwards and kind of open that door, because of course, it's not necessarily required for them to do so. But it is, we do ask all of our donors to be open to that because we want to have that door open if it needs to be. And once he reached out, I knew like, okay, like maybe we'll have a little bit of communication here and there. So to see it open up more and knowing that he has such an open mind to this child will now know her background and where she came from and how she came into this world. I think it's a great way to have it's a safer way than social media to have communication yeah. with IPs. Of course, if you're both comfortable, you can communicate in other ways afterwards, but it's not as a cringy feeling having a random message pop up on like Facebook, like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm the intended parents or I'm the donor conceived child in a few years. Sure. Sure, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, when you're on the donor sibling registry, like it's still done by numbers. Yeah, right. It's that part is still completely anonymous. You get um, an anonymous username that is then provided to the intended parents. Okay, okay. So it's They're really at that point, then. it's up to you if you yes. want to exchange full contact information to, like you said, have a relationship outside of maybe that exchange. So it could be something along the lines of, I'm only in contact with you in the event that medical things change, mm -hmm. or it can evolve like your story where yeah. now you guys actually have like a relationship, which is really yeah. cool. That's awesome. How did you explain all of this to your son, especially going through it? And then now it's like, hey, here's this person that you're related to, but not in our family. Like, yeah. That, that was tricky for me at first because of course they knew when I was going through my first donation, like I had my meds in the fridge and I had to explain what those were. Yeah. So, I originally explained it and I still explain it that I chose to do this to be able to help someone else be able to have their dream of becoming a family. And I also explained to them that could mean many different things for many people. Like for me, it was very easy to have children and for other people, it takes these extraordinary measures and many hands in the pot to be able mm -hmm. to get to this end goal, hopefully. Um, they do know that this baby came from mommy's egg, but I am not the baby's mom. They know that this baby is loved by her dad and his partner, and it's incredible. They actually got to meet her this past weekend. Oh, wow. My family was, yeah, my family was visiting from out of town, and I went and met with the IP and um, the little girl and his partner um, this past week, and I had explained that my family was coming into town, just like topic of conversation. Sure. And they were like, well, we would love for your family to be able to meet her. Do you want to take her for a few hours on Saturday? And I was like, oh, I was just like blown away because, of course, I, I don't think I necessarily would have felt, ever felt comfortable asking. That. I don't feel like it was my place. But as soon as they threw it out there, I was so excited. So she oh. got to come to my house and meet my dad and my kids and they played on the floor with her. And it was just so cool. And I think it also gave them a better understanding of it as well. Like sure. this, is, this is not your sister. This is not mommy's baby, but this is somebody that will be in our family forever in some capacity. And it yeah. also gave them an appreciation of my work too. 
Oh, I believe it. I think that's something like on the, you know, I know like as a surrogate, my big thing was, you know, once I deliver this baby that I have zero genetic, you know, mm-hmm. relation to, I wanted my like kiddos to kind of see and baby is now going to their parents. Yes. Like that was like their closure. And so right. I've always wondered like with egg donation, it almost seems like you go, you have a great nap and then that's kind of it. Yeah. So like, it seems like, so what was your closure, I guess, then? And then I guess now you have different closure. Yeah. it. I didn't have any of these expectations going in it. Sure. I wanted to leave that solely up to the intended parents when I first got into this. And yeah. now knowing what an incredible relationship I have with my, with my IP, I think my expectations might be a little bit different just because it's, it's so beneficial for me knowing that his life has changed forever mm. because of something that I did and seeing them organically, like just being like dad and daughter. And you can't replicate that in any way. But originally my closure was just going to be, I received a letter from him. Um, I think it was around the time that I started my meds. And I didn't know before that necessarily a lot about his story as to why he needed an egg donor. Sure. And that's something that we do ask RIPs or it's an option for them to send a letter to their egg donor throughout the process. And I didn't know that that was coming. So when I got it in my email that day, that felt like closure at that time to me. I knew why I was needed. I knew what his story was. And it was, I mean, talk about pulling your heartstrings. I was sitting there getting ready to go on meds reading this just in a puddle like oh my gosh I hope this works like what if it doesn't and that felt so good you could feel his appreciation and gratitude through the letter and so at that time I I felt good I felt like that was my closure but then when he reached out to me on the donor sibling registry and now I'm just very grateful that he has such an open communication with me and wants to have relationship with me sure sure what would you say for for egg donors who really kind of do want this to be a little more anonymous mm-hmm. versus egg donors who like I guess your story that you have that's not really super common is it no so a lot um 90% of the cycles that we run and facilitate are unidentified cycles okay and A donor can always advocate for themselves as far as how much communication they want to have after the fact. We do request that they sign up for the donor sibling registry and be open to that, but they also need to advocate if there's communication that's afterwards, the IPs are trying to get in contact with them, or it's more personal conversations, they can advocate and say, yes, this is something I'm comfortable moving forward with, or Mm -hmm. no, it is not. But it's something that's always going to be an option through there. Yeah, right. Which is not necessarily the case if you're donating with an egg bank or anything like that. Yeah, an egg bank, I don't believe there is any communication afterwards. I mean, I think with most egg bank scenarios, you don't even know where your eggs are going. So you wouldn't necessarily need to be on the donor sibling registry for any specific IPs at that point. Mm, okay. Okay. That's, that's super interesting. So like, so again, someone's going through this process. Um, they've just done their application and, and all of that. 
Um, they've heard Michaela's inspiring, wonderful, <laughs> amazing story. Um, what are like, what are some tips that you would give to anybody who's possibly interested in doing this when they're filling out their application? Be as brutally honest and thorough as you can be um, on your application, because of course, once you are matched, you're going to go through a genetic consultation. You're going to go through a psychological evaluation. And the psychological is not, I, I think a lot of people with the stigma of mental health, you hear psychological evaluation and it's so intimidating. It's sure. not. I had mine and if I, I even was intimidated by it. It was a free flowing conversation. It never felt like I was being interrogated, but she did get things out of me that just came out naturally like it wasn't things that I would ever intentionally try to like not add to my application but the more thorough you are are the more things that we don't need to go back and be like oh well this was not originally on your application especially with genetics making sure you have those conversations with your family about your ancestors your grandparents your siblings you need to make sure you're as thorough as possible because those are things that can affect a match and your ability to be matched Absolutely. Open to communication. Yeah. Communication is huge. You have to be writing all the time. Communicate 24 7. That phone rings, pick it up. You get a text, respond. Because yeah. it could be it could be a match. For donors who um are wanting to get matched quickly, what can they do on their application to like make that a possibility? Add as much detail as possible. Any answer that All might be a sentence long, fluff it, add more sentences, make it paragraph long answers. Make sure you're checking your spelling, your punctuation, your capitalization. You need to have natural thoughts, smiling, showing your teeth from the chest up, no filters, not a crazy busy background. Another huge thing is childhood and family photos. So they don't just see what you look like now. They want to as see. As an infant. As an infant. infant. Yes. And mm. they can always also sign up for a profile video, which is just a chance. We only ask four questions during it, but it's a chance for the intended parents to get to learn their personality, not just through text or pictures. And it's super brief. A lot of them are no more than two minutes long. So yeah. it's not. It's nothing intimidating, but I would say over 70% of the donors who have profile videos are matched. It's something that's super, super helpful, and it does not mm. take much time or effort to do. No, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. What are some of the like frequently asked questions that you get, especially Denise, when you're at the beginning of the process? What are a lot of the like major questions that you get from potential donors? I think the biggest question I always receive is this going to affect my future fertility? Mm -hmm. That is one of the biggest questions always asked. And, you know, it, and you can understand why, you know, yeah. we're, we're dealing with young 20 some year olds. And obviously, from what we know, no, it's not going to. Every month we reproduce eggs and you're going to continue to produce those eggs every month. <laughs> But, you know, again, Dr. Google, as you said earlier, everyone uh, yeah. does their own research and they're looking into things. And, you know, we just have to reassure them that, no, you're going to be fine. And yes, you can go on to have your own family. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. What would you say are some of the most common misconceptions people have about egg donation? 
that this is your bylaw, that this is going to be a child that you need to raise or you're financially obligated to help raise this child. It's yes, biologically, this is going to be your child, but it is not your baby. You are giving this gift to help other people become parents. And mm -hmm. that's a huge misconception. Um, and there's a, a huge stigma with it, I think, too. Like, oh, you're donating your eggs, so you're going to have all these babies out in the world with your genetics. And that's not the purpose of egg donation. It's not to spread our DNA throughout the world. It's to help people be able to have a family who are not able to do it in a much easier way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think the other thing, too, is not they don't understand the time commitment to egg donation. Yes. That's OK. Tell me more about that. Well, I think a lot of them come in thinking, oh, you know, I'm just going to come in. I'm going to take some meds and then they're going to go in and they're going to take my eggs and I'm done. Not realizing that, you know, you have to go through a lot of medical screenings. You have to go through the psychological screening and then there's a waiting process. And, you know, then you go through the drugs and all of that. And mm -hmm. you have to really get that through their heads that this is a time commitment. This could be, you know, as long as six months, you have to be ready for that. And it is, you're, you're being paid for your time. So that's yeah. huge for people to understand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a quote, part-time job-ish. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, and, and it is. I mean, if you do it more than once, you know, you could make lots of money this way. <laughs> sure. And you're compensated for your time every time you're doing it. And you're compensated for crazy things like 24, 21 hour, you know, travel days exactly. and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's certain times you have to be at doctors, you know, and that's, I tell them too, yeah, you're going to feel inconvenienced at times, but that's why you're getting paid. It's because mm -hmm. you're, you are being inconvenienced, being at doctor's appointments between only 8 and 10 a.m. in the morning or that's an inconvenience yes but that's why you're getting paid right and at the end of the day it is worth it because you it's are so helping create that family yeah so yes oh my gosh I love that I love that how many how many families do we have waiting right now for an egg donation I believe what is it Michaela 327 over 300 over 300 families. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's that's, crazy. That's a lot. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, okay. Is there any final things that you would say to any potential donor who is possibly thinking about helping a family in this way? I would say absolutely do your research and be prepared to fully commit to this process. Don't go in blindly. I think the more you're educated, the more you are able to commit fully emotionally and also with your time. Of course, we have a phone consultation once they're approved and we go over everything as thoroughly as we can, but there's yeah. only so much education we can do. We can't foresee the future as far as like what inconveniences may come up during your cycle. It, we don't know what will happen. So you just need to be prepared to be flexible and keep the end goal in mind. The end goal is always to help change mm -hmm. somebody else's life. And sometimes you have to not be selfish. If you're inconvenienced, it's it's going to happen. And if you get to that end goal and you get to see that you help somebody be able to have a baby, 
that's been longing for it for years or decades, it will also change your life. You're not just changing yours. Yeah, absolutely. You cannot predict um, blizzards. No, I have to agree. <laughs> no. Yeah, do your research. We have a, um. there's a blog that's on our website. It's titled Deciding to be an Egg Donor. It's obviously from one of our egg prior egg donors and she did so much research before mm. she decided to do this and it's so worth the read take the time if you want to do this read through it because she researched everything possible there is to do it and oh, in the end that. so rewarding and it's it's just something you want to do if you are willing to make the commitment it's a huge commitment but you have to be ready for that yeah Absolutely. We'll put the blog in our show notes so that you guys can just click on it. Um, no, that's fantastic. Okay. My one last question. Um, as everybody knows, I have a um, beautiful codependent relationship on coffee. Um, and so I always love to ask literally or figuratively, what filled your cup this morning? Mine was probably being able to see, actually, my intended father had texted me a, a picture a few days ago of when we, we, it was the only picture we have together with the donor conceived baby, but I sent it to my mom who did not come this past weekend to visit. And she just, she called me after and she was so touched that it's come full circle that I've gotten to meet them. And now we have a relationship that's ongoing. That's awesome. What about you, Denise? Um, I think what filled my cup this morning was just that good morning text from my daughter. Um, mm. Welcome, welcome home, because we had been away and didn't have much Wi-Fi service, so I didn't really talk to her last week, and she sent me a sweet little good morning, so that was nice. Oh, I love that. My eldest is in middle school, so I dream that she'll do that to me whenever I'm an adult or when she, I am an adult, sort of, but when she's an adult. <laughs> yeah, she's in North Carolina, so I don't get to see her a lot, but. Oh, that gives you all the mama flutters. I love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you both again for everything. Have a amazing rest of your day. And we're going to put that blog in our show notes. And um, thanks again for just giving us all of your time. And so appreciate all your efforts um, for those sweet intended parents. So thanks, guys. Thanks, Whitney. Thanks, Whitney. You have just finished listening to an episode of Me, You, and Who. To find out more about Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions, go to www.createahappyfamily.com.